You know, as we continue on in this sermon series, when God whispers your name, we're talking essentially about what the video tries to communicate. When God speaks, are we listening? And, and not only listening, as in I, we hear it, but, but do you put into practice the things that you hear? Somebody once said it's, it's one thing to, to, faith is not just hearing or justice knowing, it's, it's putting into practice what you know and you hear. Today, as we continue on the series, we're going to take a look at Noah, another guy that heard from God in different ways. And it says this in Hebrews about Noah. By faith, Noah, when warned about these things, not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. And by faith, he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness that comes by faith. So the question, again, I want to start you out with this morning is this. The same question we started out last week is, why Noah? I mean, I mean, why Noah? What made him so special? What allowed God to use him in that way? How did he know that he would respond you know, it's interesting, when God destroyed the world with the flood, the archaeologists tell us today that there were approximately one million people living. don't know how they get that number, but that's what the number they got. And so again, ask, why Noah? Was he truly one in a million, or, or was there something more? I want you to ponder that just for a moment. If you're God, and you have to wipe out all the earth because they're in such rebellion against you, such hatred against you, who do you start the world over with? Do you start it over with you? And if not, you who? It's almost an uncomfortable question because all of us want to use us, but we just don't know if we would or if we'd make the best people to start over with. For example, I don't know how to cook with fire and stuff like that unless it's in a charcoal, and then I have a little bit of a chance. But who do you start over with? And again, it kind of begs the question of why did he choose Noah? The Bible says in Second Chronicles 16.9, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, that he may show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. In other words, when God is looking for people to use, he looks at our hearts, the heart of one that is seeking him. And so the question this morning is, is maybe just that. Are you seeking God? Are you in a place that, that when God needed to use you or does need to use you, that you're available? I think it's an important question, and that's what I want to take a look at today. I want to take a look at four things or four characteristics of the type of person that God chooses, and that will really help us determine are we even seeking? Are we looking at him at all? As we go through these things, one of the first things we figure out from Noah was that he was simply available. And you say, well, pastor, that doesn't sound like that big a thing, except when you look at the text, you see that the entire population of the earth, the only deal was, the only person he could find that was available at all was Noah. There was one guy, and a million plus people were on this earth at that time. And Jesus says it another way, lest we think it's just an Old Testament thing. He says it this way. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Why? Because there are only a few that are truly available. And so in God's eyes, availability is way more important than ability. That attitude is way more important than aptitude. Why? Because we use our aptitude to make excuses of why we can't do it. God can't use me, or I can't do that. I'm not able, I'm not smart enough, this or that. But God just simply asks, are you available? And sometimes it even takes us when we're unavailable or not available and makes us available more and more in life. It was my senior year, my fourth year at seminary. I was just getting ready to become a pastor. I just got to spend some time here in Phoenix with my family, and I was going back from the remainder of my seminary year. It was the last time I was going to get to be with my family on Christmas for a long time. And so anyway, I get to the airport, get on the plane, and, and I sit down next to this guy who's just one of those neat guys that just wants to talk the whole time he's on the plane. 
I've shared a little bit of this story before, and one of my confessions, this is something I don't exhort, it's not a good thing, but I just hate people talking to people on the airplane. I'm just not a good communicator on the airplane. You think, I'm a pastor, I should be better than that, I have a captive audience, what better place in the world to talk to somebody for two hours about Jesus? But I just don't like talking to anybody, and so I do different things, I have different strategies when I get on a plane so that I don't have to talk to the people next to me especially when they look like they want to talk the whole time. And so anyway, I get on the plane, and sure enough, he starts talking to me, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And I go to my strategy number one. So during that first phase where the, the stewardess is saying, buckle this and do this and do this, I'm putting my headphones on to my CD player. CD player, for those of you who don't know what that is, is what was before the iPod. So there we are. And my headphones on, playing my music. He doesn't feel offended because I took that transition time to put the headphones on. I'm very excited, listening to some soothing music. I'm sure it was soothing in some way. Closed my eyes so that he didn't think I wanted to talk at all, so that he could interrupt my soothing time. And two minutes into that soothing music, the batteries went dead. I really didn't know what to do. That was really the only plan I had. I said I had a strategy. It was just that. So I didn't know what to do next. But this guy, man, he already talked off my ear for the 10 minutes prior to the stewardess doing her thing, and I just didn't know. So I kept on the headphones for about 10 extra minutes. And then I just started to feel foolish and dumb, so I finally took him off, and sure enough, he started talking to me again. So after about two minutes in his new conversation, I thought, well, what am I going to do? And so I thought, you know, I'm a seminary student. I'm a good Christian guy. I have my Bible in my backpack. I always already have my Bible in my back. So I pulled out the Bible thinking, if he's a Christian, he'll see that I'm doing devotion. He'll totally give me some space and respect that. If he's not a Christian, he'll be freaked out because he'll know I'm a Christian. Just pulled out a Bible on an airplane, so he'll stop talking to me. So sure enough, I get out the Bible, and I, and I almost start to read. And he goes, is that a Bible? And I go, yeah. <laughs> he goes, yeah, I used to be a Christian. And that was just a, too much for me, and I... I had to begin to discourse. I had to begin to talk to him about what did he mean by that and let's, let's talk more and unpack this a little bit. And, you know, for the next two hours on the plane, we talked. And before we got off, he had asked if I knew any churches in Milwaukee. Milwaukee. But I did. I knew actually three churches in Milwaukee because two weeks prior, I had just been to a wedding at my buddy's wedding at his church in Milwaukee. So I knew his church. I knew two other churches in the area he talked up. Just happened to know three churches. Otherwise, I wouldn't have. So I gave him the three churches, didn't know if it was anywhere close to where he lived, and, and, and he just thanked me for talking. Two months later, I got a thank you card in the mail from this guy. Just joined my buddy's church in Milwaukee. And he was just thanking me for reintroducing them to Jesus. You know, I share that story not obviously because it makes me look good, because it does not, but, but I share that story because he can take us when we're unavailable and don't want to do anything that he wants us to do. And there's times in our life where we have, if there's any availability in us, he can open that up and he can do extraordinary things, even when we didn't initially want to. I also share that story because I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised and amazed at the kind of people God uses. We're going to get up there, and it's not always going to be the superstars, the super gifted, or the super talented people. I'm sure they're there, but, but most people are going to be like us. They're going to have their hurts and their faults and their hang-ups and their fears. He doesn't always use the super brilliant people. I'm an example of that. But, but they are simply available. And so God uses those who are available and does extraordinary things. You can say the dumbest thing in the world, and somehow if God wants to use it, he'll use it to his glory and to bring somebody to faith. And the longer I'm a Christian, the more I realize that God does not need these superstars. He simply needs ordinary people who say, I'm willing to be used by God. So one of the first things that God calls us this morning on, and again, it's this idea of, of are you listening, right? And, and are we 
are we doing what God wants us to do? The first thing that he wants us to consider is, are we available when he calls? Or, or do we just try to put on those headphones and go, la, 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 so we don't do it, right? Are we available? It goes on and he says this too. God uses people who dare to be different. In verse 9 it says this, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. It's just saying here that, that morally, Noah was a man of deep conviction, and, and he, he dared to be different. He wasn't really afraid of what other people thought because he cared most about what God thought. And that made him unique, and that made him, him different. And it's truly amazing because at this point in history, the society was morally bankrupt. And you say, Pastor, today's morally bankrupt. Can it get much worse than today? And I'll say, absolutely. Think about this world, this earth of ours, if there was only one Christian family left. Could it get worse? Absolutely. Some of the discussions we're having in Washington and at the water cooler at our work don't even happen if there's only one Christian family on this earth. So many things are so far down the river at that point that, that those questions don't even come up anymore. And that's the kind of society, in verse 11 and 12, it says that there was corruption, violence, and immorality at, 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 at just tremendous amounts. It was just horrible. Yet Noah was not influenced by any of these things, it goes on to say. Yet in spite of the fact that he lived in this terrible society... He was blameless among the people of his time. And that doesn't mean that he was perfect. It just means that he was a guy that was known for his integrity, a guy for, that was known for doing the right things most of the time, a guy whose yes was yes and whose no was no. But he wasn't afraid to stand alone. And that made him unique, no matter what anybody else thought or said. And as, before you just kind of go out and slough that idea off, think about what that means for just a bit. I mean, think about the criticism that Noah had to, must have faced during that time especially as he was building a boat in the desert, 500 miles from the nearest body of water. The ridicule from the neighbors must have been enormous. That Noah was a crackpot. There's old man Noah building a boat in his yard. They see him at the grocery store. He's just buying some detergent for his clothes and stuff like that, and they're whispering behind his back, laughing at him. That's one strange dude. He thinks the world's going to end. So he's building a boat. And it happened for a long time. He says over 120 years. And you've got to imagine during that time, the family had to echo, get into that chorus as well. I mean, it's always awkward when one of your family members is just embarrassing. Kids, think about your parents, right? I mean, it's just, you know, those kind of things. How would you like it if you were Noah's kids? You go to school, hey, what does your daddy do? My daddy builds a boat. <laughs> really? There's no water around here. He builds a boat, you know. Uh, and they go, Dad, it's killing us. I mean, what are you doing? The, the, the boat in the front yard is embarrassing. Can't you get a normal job like Timmy's, right? I mean, I don't know what Timmy's dad does, but, you know, get a normal job. This doomsday talks all over town. We're mocked. We're ridiculed. Nobody will go out with me, whatever. Think about how you would respond to that. Would you try to distance yourself from dad and God's will as far as you could, or would you back diet up all the way? Could you put up with being misunderstood and criticized year after year after year because of your convictions? Because you were trying to do what was right. Because you were trying to do what God called your family to do. I think it's an interesting question. In America, I think we struggle with even asking ourselves that question because we don't really worry about being persecuted that much, right? Maybe a little intellectual persecution here and there. But, but nobody's going to come to our door, knock it down, and haul us out to, and, and haul us off to jail because we believe in Jesus. At least not yet. But we do get worried about sticking out just a little bit about being different, about, about standing alone. That's the intellectual persecution I talk about, right? We don't want to lose any friends because of Jesus. We don't want people to judge us in a negative way, be mean to us, alienate us. 
Scripture tells us that Noah was a man who was not afraid to stand alone. While everybody else was out doing evil left and right, he says, I'm not going to participate in those things. He was blameless among the people of, it, of his day. And you start asking, what gave him the confidence to do that? And it shares right here what gave him the confidence. In verse 9 it says, the thing that gave him the confidence is that he walked with God. He had a relationship with God and it gave him the strength to say, you know what, I don't care what anybody else says, I care what God says. So even though it's awkward and even though it's not popular, I'm going I'm to keep doing what he's called me to do, keep doing what I know is right. And again, that's the kind of person that God can use. Not only somebody who's available to do what's right, but actually follows through and keeps on keeping on. just kind of leads us to the next point. God uses people who follow him completely. Again, not on their timetable. I mean, all of us don't mind serving if it's convenient, right? We don't mind following God as long as it doesn't cause us any angst. Not when they want to, not in their way, not when they feel like it, but completely and without question. People that God uses follow God's directions without making excuses. In Genesis 6.22, it says, Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. It doesn't say he did some of the things the way he wanted to. It said he did everything. In chapter 7, verse 5, it says, And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. See, obedience is maybe another word for faith, right? Notice I didn't say good works are another word for faith because they're not, but obedience to them is, right? You say I have a lot of faith, I'd say along with James, okay, then how much do you do for God or how much do you obey God without question? Why? Because that takes a lot of faith to do what God asks, even when you don't want to, even when you don't understand. Faith is following instructions even when it doesn't make sense, always. And that's what Noah was able to do. It's what made him truly extraordinary. Did you know that the Bible says that until the time of the flood, it had never rained on the earth? In Genesis 2, it says that the earth was watered with, uh, the way the earth was watered was with a mist that came up from the ground, kind of like a dew in the morning. The whole atmosphere was different because it had never rained. So the first time Noah and his family saw a rainbow, it blew them away. They had never seen anything like it. It was new. It was the first time ever. It was a sign of God's promise. So there's Noah building an ark in the middle of the desert. And they say, Noah, why are you building an ark? And he says, because it's going to rain. They say, what's rain? Not only had it never rained, but Noah was at least 500 miles from the largest body of water at that time, the Mediterranean Ocean. How was he going to get 500 miles across that land? I mean, this thing, this ark, if you look at the dimensions, was the size of a football field. It was just absolutely huge. And then he says, go and get two of every animal and bring them out of the boat. How was he going to do that? I can't even get my dog to obey me half the time. I was going to get all the animals, two of each one, on this boat. But the thing about Noah that was so extraordinary is that he didn't argue, he didn't complain, he didn't explain it away. He just said, okay, Lord, whatever you say. And one of the real tests of faith in life is how do you follow God's will even when it doesn't make sense? Even when you're throwing the curveballs in life and, and it becomes difficult. Even when it's not popular, even when you take actual persecution, how do you follow God? And then God gives us his last one. It says God uses people who never give up. We saw this last week a little bit with Moses. It says Moses had to wait 80 years for the fulfillment of his goal, right? The, getting his, all the, the Jews that were in exile or, or, or slaves in Egypt out into the promised land. 80 years he had to wait to get that started. It must have felt like an eternity, but it says here that Noah had to wait 120 years. It took him 120 years to build the ark. In Genesis 6-3, the Bible says that God destroyed, delayed the flood for a period of time. It says this, And then God said, My spirit will not contend with man forever. 
just saying here that there's a limit to God's patience, that there's a limit to what he'll put up with from mankind, that there's a limit on, on what he will take from a disobedient human race. And I think you need to hear that because it's true. God is a loving God, but he's also a very just God. He is a God where second chances are, are, are limitless, where, where he continues to forgive over and over again. But if you continue to walk away, continue to blow him off, continue to not have him in your life, he'll eventually let you go. His arms will be open for you, waiting for you to return, but he'll let you go. It says here that he decided to destroy the world by flood. It says, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days are 120 years. It says that there was a delay of 120 years. Why? Because it took 120 years for Noah to build that ark. So here's something to think about. If you want to be used by God, could you maintain the enthusiasm that Noah did for, for your whole lifetime? Could you keep on keeping on? Could the motivation still be there day after day after day, even if you knew it would take your entire life to accomplish? But there were weeks where he wanted to say, man, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired. I've done my duty. I don't want to get out of bed today, let somebody else do it, you know. But he's an example of patience, day in, day out, building, nailing, tar papering, whatever, for 120 years. I'm sure you thought, you know, I put in 50 years doing this, and this is hard, and it's not fun, and people make fun of me, and, and I've been ridiculed, and my family's had a hard time, and this is this just stings. Give me my gold watch and let me retire and let somebody else pick this up because I don't want to do it anymore. But it says Noah never gave up. And every day he nailed those nails and he built those boards and he bent everything into shape and he said to the world, I believe in God for 120 years. That's what made Noah such an incredible man of God. And yet if you read through the story, you know that at the end of Noah's life he did some silly mistakes, right? That caused some of his descendants to stumble. And for a long time, I just wondered, why did they put that in there? You know, you made the story of Noah kind of a bummer at the end because he was awesome and then he made these mistakes. And but Then I began thinking that maybe they did it to encourage us. kind of goes back to the thesis of this whole series that we're doing, that God uses ordinary people, right? If Noah had never done anything wrong in his life, we'd say Noah's too perfect. We can't relate to him. No wonder God used him. But, but you look at Noah and you see how imperfect he was. He was human. He blew it. He had a problem. He made a fool of himself. And yet, in spite of all that, God used him in a powerful way. Put him in the hall of faith, right, in, in Hebrews 11. And you know what? That's the kind of God that we worship, to be honest. The kind of God who, although he doesn't compromise on sin, is compassionate and forgiving, has his arms out in love always, continues to give us those second and third and bajillionth chances to start over. So I don't care how many times you've blown it in your life. God can still use you for the rest of your life. And, and I don't care how many mistakes that you've made or how many times you've fallen flat on your face. It's not a failure just to fall. It's a failure not to get up. The only way you're a failure is if you quit getting up. If you quit. And so this morning I want you to know that you have a God who forgives and renews. A God that sent his son to Jesus to die on this earth so that we could know what true forgiveness was, so that we could know what hope was, so that we could know what strength was. His, this ability to renew and forgive the messed up people that we are so that he can use us to do amazing things on this earth, to, to help people get to heaven that no other way could they get to heaven except through us opening our mouth one day and God using the words. Because with God, as long as you're breathing... There are always the second chances. 
because of the blood of Jesus Christ in our life. Realize that you're loved by an amazing God. And, and he shares these things with you. He says, I'm looking for these hearts. I'm looking for these people that want to follow me. And my encouragement today is that you let them, that you'd follow, that you'd try, and see what it is that God might do. And all God's people said, Amen.